this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you're new to Timberlake, welcome. It is our pleasure to have you as our guest this morning for worship. It's good to be together as brothers and sisters and to encounter the living God this morning. I want to start with a confession today, and the confession is this. Reading a Bible story like this scares me. It excites me a little bit, uh, but it also scares me because the story like this calls the followers of Jesus to be bold. It's very clear. That's the message of the scripture for today. It's about boldness. And uh, my confession is I'm not a bold person. Uh, I'm really not. Um, it's kind of a miracle that I'm actually standing up in front of you week after week. Um, and I like to say that's God's little joke on me because I'm an introvert. And as a child, I was incredibly shy, painfully shy. And so for me to do this is, uh, is a minor miracle. I'm just not a bold person. I want to be. I believe with God's help, I can be a bold person. Sometimes I pretend that I am. You know that song by Mary Chapin Carpenter called I Take My Chances? It's this really great rock and roll country song. And it, I get pumped up and I sing along every time I hear it on the radio. And I pretend like I'm a risk taker. I'm like, yeah, I'm right there with you, Mary. I'm singing along. But the truth is I'm not. I'm really not a risk taker. I, I'm actually kind of reserved. Uh, I'm even timid. Um, and there are situations in life where it is good to be timid, where uh, cautiousness is a virtue, um, where being tentative may be helpful. Um, for example, when your spouse says to you, do I look fat in these jeans? <laughs> that is not the time to be bold, okay? My friends, take it, trust me. Trust me, that is not the time to be bold. When someone serves you dinner and the name of the dish has the word surprise in it. I have some tuna surprise. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to eat that or not, right? Uh, or when you go camping and then you, you take a hike and come back to your campsite and there's a bear in your tent, right? That is not the time to be bold. You just kind of let them have it and let them take his time. Whatever the bear wants to do, he's going to do. So you're, you're going to lay back and be cautious. And so there are some situations where we need to be cautious, where we need to be tentative. But here's the thing. The Christian life is not one of them. Welcome back for week three of our series called Unleashed. And during this month, we are talking about what happens when the Spirit of God is unleashed on the people. When the Spirit of God is unleashed on the people of God. And one of the places that we read about that is in the book of Acts. So we are making our way through the book of Acts, hitting the highlights at least. Last week we were in Acts 2, and this week we're in Acts 4. And you may know that this, the book of Acts is the story of the early church. This is the story of new beginnings. This is the story of what happens when a community catches fire with a mission for Jesus Christ. And the full name of the book of Acts, maybe you know this, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. Now, I wasn't around when they were naming the books of the Bible, and no one asked me, and maybe no one cares. But what I think is that's probably the wrong name for the book. It should be called not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Spirit. Because this is the story of what God is doing. It's not so much about what we're doing, but what God is doing, has done, can do through us, through people who are willing. More than anything else, God wants people who are willing, who are open. 
And that is the story of the book of Acts. And one of the things that happens when the Spirit moves, when people are open to the movement of the Holy Spirit, is people are inspired to boldness. And so this morning we're going to talk about being bold, uh, which is one of the reasons that I like this sermon series image so much. This, uh, this cowboy, uh, rodeo cowboy riding a bucking bronco. That's, that's a bold thing to do, isn't it? That's a dangerous thing to do. Um, and truth be told, maybe this doesn't really capture most of our lives. I mean, if there was an image that said, yep, that's a picture of what my life is like. Most of us probably would not have this as the picture that tells other people about who we are. I've called the sermon uh, this morning, The Bold and the Beautiful. And uh, for some of us, that reminds us of a soap opera, right? But wouldn't it be great if it reminded people of the church? Wouldn't it be great if we had a reputation for boldness so that when people think of the disciples of Jesus Christ, they think, oh, okay, there's a, that's a really bold group of people who are willing to do incredible things, risk-taking things for Jesus. Unfortunately, the church uh, too often looks less like a rodeo cowboy and, and more like that poor little helpless uh, calf that gets roped up and lays there in the dirt, you know, after the cowboy is done with him. And we, we are immobile and we're ineffective and, and we're too worried about what people think of us or we're too concerned about our petty squabbles and arguments. We're too concerned with being courteous and nice to each other, right? And, and all the while we miss this opportunity to be bold for Jesus. And so here's the thing about that. According to the book of Acts, boldness is required for following Jesus. It's, it's not an option. It's not like, well, I don't really feel like it today, Jesus, so if you could just sort of leave me alone. No, to follow Jesus is to be bold according to the book of Acts, and in particular, chapter 4 that we read. Following Jesus is a wild and unpredictable ride, and it's thrilling, and even sometimes it's dangerous. Sometimes it's dangerous. So I want to show you what I mean. In the early days of the church, Christians were persecuted. Now, maybe you know that already, and it kind of came from two angles. One was the legal angle. It was against the law to worship our triune God. It was against the law to be a follower of Jesus. So there's this legal side. But then also this religious side, the religious leaders of that day hated the followers of Jesus. They despised the followers of Jesus because to them, Jesus was a threat to the power that they held over people. And so it was inconceivable to them that this Jesus was the Messiah that they had been longing for, that was promised to them in Scripture. And so preaching in the name of Jesus was considered blasphemy. It was considered the worst sin that you could commit, a sin against the Holy Spirit himself, and they just completely rejected the followers of Jesus in that way. And so to be a follower of Jesus, just to claim that name and say, yes, I'm one of them, was to put your life at risk, literally. And so that's why the early church met in secret. That's why they met in one another's homes in secret, because they knew what was at stake. And yet, as we see this morning from Acts 4, not all of the disciples of Jesus kept their faith hidden and secret. People like Peter and John were public in their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And the story says that they were going around preaching in the name of Jesus and healing in the name of Jesus and performing miracles in the name of Jesus. And it wasn't long before the authorities caught wind of it and they decided they were going to put a stop to it. The Bible says that they were annoyed at their teaching about the resurrection. I think annoyed is a bit of an understatement. They were incensed. They could not believe that these disciples would dare to proclaim Jesus over and over. And so they had him arrested. They arrested Peter and John, and then they put them on trial. 
So they were made to stand before all the religious leaders, the rulers and the elders and the scribes and the high priests. This is an artist's rendering of Peter standing before that group called the Sanhedrin. And they questioned Peter and John about what they were doing. And they said, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, here comes the question for Peter and John, and they get to respond. I want to suggest to you this is the perfect opportunity for Peter and John to save themselves. Okay, this is the perfect opportunity for them to say, you know what, um, yeah, we promise we won't do that again. Uh, this is their opportunity to sort of get out of jail free, you know. That would be the cautious thing to do. That would be the prudent thing to do is to say, well, we didn't really mean all that stuff about Jesus, and we won't talk about him anymore, and we won't do any more of that healing or that miracle stuff. You see, Peter and John knew who they were up against. This was the Sanhedrin. They were standing in front of the religious ruling council. Do you recognize that name? Peter and John recognized these people because this is the same group that put Jesus on trial. This is the same group that found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. This is the same group that condemned Jesus to die. Okay, so now Peter and John are standing in front of the same group that had their Lord and teacher killed. Don't you know Peter and John get it? They know that this group would have no qualms about killing Peter and John too. If they kill Jesus, they got no problem killing some of Jesus' followers. And so that is what they're up against. And we could understand then if they backed down at that point, right? We could appreciate that the, the need to, the desire to save their own skin and walk away and live for another day. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Instead, they actually preached some more. They took this platform, this opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus once more. And they said, in case there was any doubt about who did this, about who healed this man that you're talking about, it was Jesus, by the way, just so you all know. It was Jesus Christ who did it. You remember the one who you crucified? Yeah, well, God raised him from the dead. You remember that stone that the builders rejected, the one you rejected? Well, God has made him the cornerstone, the most important building block of God's new community on the earth. And by the way, there's salvation in no one else except for him. Boom. Drop some knowledge on the Sanhedrin, right? <laughs> And then we come to the last verse, verse 13. This might be the most powerful verse in the whole story. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. The Sanhedrin were amazed because they realized that Peter and John were regular guys. Now, if we're honest, that is a hard word for us to hear because we like to keep the first disciples at arm's length, right? We say, oh, they were special, right? You know, they were the select 12. You know, there was something extraordinary about them. Therefore, we're not accountable to live to that same high standard to which Jesus called them to live. No, you can't do that. The Bible says they were ordinary. They were regular. In other words, just like you and just like me. They didn't have any special education. They did not have any special qualifications. They didn't have anything special about them. You know what they had? Guts. They had guts. They had courage. They had fearlessness. That's what God is asking from you today. Courage. Guts, fearlessness, they were bold. And where did they get it from? Where did they get this boldness from? Well, the answer is simple. They got it from God himself. My friends, I'm here to remind you this morning that we worship a God who is bold. 
We worship a God who is bold. And it began for us in creation. You see, the triune God that has existed for all time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God needed nothing. The triune God lacked nothing. And yet simply perhaps for God's own pleasure, God said, let us make a world. And so God made sky and earth. God made heaven. God made birds and fish. And in God's most daring act of creation, God made creatures in his own image, men and women, who would bear that mark of the divine and have, among other things, free will. Free will either to love God in return or to reject God. And guess what we chose? We rejected God, didn't we? But God still loved us. God still loved us, and God sent, God the Father sent the Son to live for us, to show us how to love one another, even to die for us so that we might be saved. My friends, our God is bold. Our God is bold. Our God is a risk taker. And we see this boldness played out in the life of Jesus. Jesus was a risk taker. And we say, well, wait, wait, I thought Jesus was gentle and, and tender and kind. Yeah, Jesus was all of those things, but Jesus was also edgy and provocative. Jesus had no problem stepping on your toes. You know, Jesus had no problem telling you the truth from God's perspective, even when it made you uncomfortable, especially when it made you uncomfortable. You see, Jesus had this tendency to push people beyond where they thought they could go. He always did what was right, even if it meant making people upset with him. So Jesus, when he was 12, he wandered away from his parents, and they, they found him in the temple. And he said, didn't you know where I would be? I'm in my father's house. Eww. Can you imagine talking that way to your parents when you're 12 years old? Jesus is kind of edgy. He's, he's bold. How about when he cleansed the temple? You know, and, and the people are in there doing their thing, and he came and he flipped over the tables, and he cracked the whip. Can you imagine someone coming into our sacred worship space and turning things over? That's what Jesus did. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. I mean, that was, that was a bold move. He could have wiped out those soldiers with the snap of a finger, but instead he allowed himself to suffer. So Jesus was bold, but he wasn't bold only for boldness' sake. I want you to get this. Jesus was not bold for boldness' sake. He was bold for the sake of his Father, obedience to his heavenly Father. He was much more concerned with doing the Father's will than he was with town gossip or with popular opinion. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church were more concerned with doing the will of our Father than with what people thought about us? So while we're talking about boldness, let's be clear that we're not really advocating boldness for boldness' sake. We've all got that one friend, right, who starts every bad idea with this. Hey, hold my drink and watch this. You have a friend like that? We've all got a friend like that. Or uh, take this guy, for example. I've got a picture to show you. I don't know if you can appreciate what's going on in this photo. That truck is leaning on its side, held up by two two-by-fours. And there's a guy sitting underneath working on it. My friends, that's incredibly bold. Right? You said it, yeah. That's not the kind of boldness we're talking about, is it? You see, plenty of Christians are bold, but they're bold about the wrong things. Or they're bold in the wrong way. You know, we know plenty of Christians who are very bold about hating people that they disagree with. You know, we, we know people who are bold about excluding people who are different. How about the, uh, the bullhorn guy who stands on the street corner? You know the guy I'm talking about? The guy who stands there with the bullhorn on the street corner in the city, and he yells at people. 
about going to hell. That guy is incredibly bold, but he's bold in the wrong way. He's bold about the wrong things. He's not particularly effective. Do you know any Christians that have ever decided to follow Jesus because of the bullhorn guy? I don't know anyone who ever experienced that and said, wow, I want to give my heart to Jesus right now. That's just, that's not the way it works. That guy's bold, but he's bold in the wrong way. He's bold about the wrong things. And so we've got to be careful to be bold about the right things, to be bold in the right way, to be bold as Jesus is bold. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that the best check against unproductive boldness is right here. It is community. It is living in community with one another so that we can be sure we're hearing God rightly. Are you sure that God called you to leave your wife and kids and go start a beach ministry in Hawaii? I don't know about that. Are you sure that God called you to stand on the street corner and scream at people about heaven and hell? Because that doesn't sound like something God would say. And so the scriptures encourage us in 1 John to test the spirits. In other words, discern. Use our spiritual gift of discernment to know what is from God and what is something of my own creation. This happens in community. This happens in the context of prayer and of conversation about God's call on our lives together. Another check against unproductive boldness is humility. I wonder if you've ever noticed that in the sort of surprising twist, the people who are most effectively bold for God also happen to be the people who are most humble. You ever notice that? They're the most humble. And why is that? Because they never make it about themselves. They always will point you back to Jesus. They will always point you with their words and their actions back to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, yeah, that's, that's why I do it. That's who I am because of who Jesus is. And so ask yourself, you know, do most of my sentences start with I think or I believe or I know? In your risk-taking in your life, are people following you or is there no one behind you and you're all by yourself? See, these are good checks. These are good reminders to know, is this stuff really from God or is this something that I've made up for myself? But I want to suggest to you this morning, honestly, most of us don't have that problem. Most of us at Timberlake are not in danger of being too bold, are we? Now, most of us are much farther on the other end. We're cautious. We're prudent. We're reasonable people, right? So in case you need a little more inspiration this morning, let's go back again to the story of Peter and John. They were arrested and put on trial, and eventually they were released, but only after they were threatened. You better not preach in Jesus' name anymore. And I want to pick up with verse 15 from that story. So the Sanhedrin ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter, and they said to one another, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. And so they called Peter and John back and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? My friends, that is courage. Here are Peter and John standing before the same leaders that crucified their Lord Jesus. And they said to them, hey, you got to judge for yourselves whether we should listen to you or listen to God. 
but we're not stopping. We're not stopping. We're going to keep on doing it because of what we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot stop from preaching the name of Jesus. We're going to keep healing people in his name. We're going to keep doing miracles in his name. You got to do what you got to do, but that's what we're going to do. Is it any wonder that the church grew so fast during that time? My friends, that kind of courage is contagious. Doesn't it just make you want to get on board and be a part of something bigger than yourself? No wonder the church grew. The story says after they were released, they told their friends what had happened, and together they prayed to God, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. My friends, this is what happens when the people of God open themselves to the movement of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when the Spirit is unleashed on the believers. This is what happens when disciples ask God to make them bold in their faith. Do you know something? When you ask God for something like that, God responds immediately with a resounding yes. God gives you exactly what you ask for. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no telling what we can accomplish. Because here's the thing. The Spirit cannot be stopped. The Spirit cannot be stopped. Not by human authority, not by naysayers, not by critics. Certainly not by those people who stand on the sidelines and refuse to get involved, but criticize those who do. My friends, the Spirit is bold. Reckless, even. And people who are filled with the Spirit are bold, reckless, even. Their priorities are different. Their habits are uncommon. The way they live makes them seem strange to other people. Imagine if Timberlake had that kind of faith. Imagine if we let the Spirit get a hold of us here, the way the Spirit got a hold of those first disciples. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the kind of community that we could be? Can you imagine risking your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ? The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, put it like this. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be laypersons or clergy they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. My friends, this is what becomes possible. This is the life-altering, world-changing difference that the Holy Spirit makes through the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, let me try to put this in terms that we can understand. How many of you remember Evil Knievel? Okay, we got a picture of Evil Knievel for you. He is a daredevil legend. If you're too young, you just got to understand this guy is nuts. Okay, he jumps his motorcycle over rivers and over Greyhound buses and, and through rings of fire. He's broken something like 35 bones in his body, some of them multiple times. He's had more injuries than you can count. Some people call him foolish. Some people call him daring. Either way, he is a legend. He's Evil Knievel. I was listening to sports radio a while back, and I heard an interview with him. 
and the interviewer was asking him about one of his most famous jumps. He had jumped over the Snake River Canyon. And in reminiscing about that event, the interviewer asked Evil. He said, Evil, what would you say were your odds of surviving that jump? And Evil said, about 50-50. 50-50? Are you kidding me? So I'm thinking, this, no way. This guy's nuts. Why would he do that? And the interviewer then follows up, right, with the question that I'm thinking that you're thinking. He says, why? Why do it? Evil, if you only had a coin flips chance of not, not of landing the jump, but of just of surviving the jump, why do it? And there was this long pause, you know, in the radio, and there's silence, you really notice. It's a long pause. And with more than just a little irritation in his voice, Evil said, do you know who the heck I am? Only he didn't say heck. Do you know who the heck I am, he said. The only answer to the question why is, he's Evil Knievel. That's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only reason. That's why he does it. It's his identity. It's who he is. It's his passion. It's what he does. So we might ask Peter and John the same question. Peter and John, why? <laughs> why in the world would you keep on preaching the name of Jesus? They threatened your lives, man. They told you they're, they're going to put you in jail. They're going to kill you if you keep doing that. But you keep doing that. Why? And Peter and John will say, do you know who we are? We're disciples of Jesus. That's what we do. That's who we are. There is no other way for us. And perhaps people will ask us, why in the world would you give 10000 of your hard-earned dollars to people in West Virginia who you never met before in your life? Why in the world would you open up your church to 200 kids? You know they're just going to wear out the carpet and spill juice on the floor, and they're going to make marks on the walls, and it's going to be really noisy and chaotic. Why would you do that? And they might ask you, why would you give an hour of your precious time every Sunday morning to come and sit in this room? You know, there's so many other things you could be doing. You could be sitting with the paper and drinking coffee. You could be taking your dog for a walk. You could go to the gym. You could sleep in. There's so many other things you could do. Why would you give an hour of your precious time to come and sit in this room and listen for the word of God? And we will say, do you know who we are? We're Timberlake Church. That's what we do. There is no other way for us. <laughs>